This is episode 179 with Doctor of Physical Therapy, Cat 3 Cyclist and Kona Ironman Qualifier, and Certified Triathlon and Running Coach, Dr. Caitlin Alexander. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features a discussion about what happens when you don't treat injuries and they become chronic. Dr. Caitlin Alexander joins me to talk about how your brain responds to long-term injuries and what you can do about it. Before we start, I want to make sure we're all running the same workout here. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry, the coaches, performance psychologists, elite athletes, registered dietitians, authors, and physical therapists who can help you elevate your running to new heights. Because when you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll make better decisions about your training, leading to more effective running fewer injuries, and faster races. Don't miss our other resources that can help you bring your running to the next level. We have a video channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning where I answer your questions, show you effective strength and core routines, and talk through your most pressing training issues. And of course, our home base is strengthrunning.com. For more than 10 years, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. We couldn't have made this episode without our sponsor, Elemental Labs. They make high-sodium electrolytes for athletes to help manage their hydration needs. And check this out. They're doing something awesome for the Strength Running podcast community. You can get a free Element sample pack. You just have to cover the cost of shipping, which is only $5 for U.S. customers. Go to drinkelement.com. That's spelled drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to see the details and claim your free electrolytes today. Each sample pack includes eight packets of Element two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, and two unflavored packets. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to sign up. Our guest today is Dr. Caitlin Alexander, a physical therapist with a certification in applied functional science. She works at Build Sports Performance Lab and Physical Therapy in Boulder, Colorado, and has experience working with elite-level athletes. She's a triathlon coach, a running coach, and a hell of an athlete herself. She's a Kona Ironman qualifier and a Category 3 cyclist. In our conversation today, we're talking about what happens when you have an injury for a very long time. You see, our movement patterns live in our brain. Your brain is what controls how you run, and if your brain learns over time to compensate for an injury, you'll develop all new movement patterns, and they won't be ideal. By the way, if you're someone who's injured right now or seems to be susceptible to overuse injuries, you can get our best injury prevention advice at strengthrunning.com prevention. Finally, Caitlin and I discuss the development of these disrupted motor patterns, how they become ingrained in our brain, and how to relearn optimal movement patterns. We also end the chat with some fun Q&A. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Caitlin Alexander. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome to the show. Thanks for making some time. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you're up in Boulder, and uh, I'm here in Denver. It just would have been great to to do this in person. I probably could have gotten you to look at my running form, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're not too far away from each other, but, you know, with the whole so- social distancing thing. Yeah, so maybe we'll, we can do a round two at some point in the future and actually sit across from one another. That would be great. Yeah, I'd love that. So what I want to talk about today, something that I've been really interested in for a long time now, probably because I've gotten a lot of injuries myself over the years, but I don't think I've ever really talked about it here in the podcast, is this idea that our movement patterns, how we move, how we run, our gait cycle, our stride, all of these movement patterns live in our brain. And if we disrupt these patterns and we compensate like if we're running through an injury that's causing us pain, uh, over time, this can create this whole new motor and pattern that's 
not actually a good one. It's not in our best interest. It's faulty in some way. And I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about this phenomenon from a a physical therapist perspective and really kind of dive into what exactly is going on here. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, dealing with runners, dealing with gait, um, either with running or walking, most of the time practitioners or biomechanists just look at, um, you know, the musculoskeletal side of things, the orthopedic side, um, you know, what your bones are doing, what your joints are doing, if your muscles are firing, things like that. But sometimes we often forget that everything is controlled by, you know, our nervous system, our brain. Um, That's kind of the higher power in all of this. And so if you're dealing with a difficult case, um, you know, and you're really only looking at, you know, the musculoskeletal side of things and you forget the nervous system, then you're not really seeing the bigger picture. Um, And so, you know, what you were chatting about a little bit with these motor patterns that can become negatively ingrained in the brain. It's not something that you see super often. You know, I have plenty of runners who've come in with chronic injuries, you know, 10, 15 years going on, like an Achilles injury or, you know, a high hamstring strain, things like that. And their gait patterns look pretty normal. Um, There are some, you know, impairments here and there, but they don't, they haven't developed this abnormal motor pattern that is kind of taking control of everything. So the biggest thing here is that, um, you know, the cause of that kind of motor pattern development is still a little bit unclear, but there's some research out there that shows that there's some sort of impairment, some sort of sensory motor integration issue, some sort of faulty issue that that's happening. Um, And so when that happens, you kind of lose control, voluntary control of, of what your body is doing. Um, and that can lead to this negative neuroplasticity. So I don't know if you've heard of the term neuroplasticity, but it essentially is that, you know, the brain can be rewired, whether that's a good or a bad thing. Um, so these runners have essentially learned this strange new movement pattern, this new motor pattern, and then that becomes their primary motor pattern. So you can think of it more like a software issue um, that needs rebooting, I guess, is a a good um, uh, way to describe it. Um, But it's difficult. It's it's really difficult to change. And and it doesn't just happen overnight, especially for an issue that's been going on for, you know, a long time. And it's as, as a biomechanist, as someone who analyzes gait on the daily, those, those patients, those clients tend to be the most difficult ones and the ones where you really have to think outside of the box. Yeah. And I think this whole idea that, you know, an injury becoming chronic and then sticking around for such a long time, part of the reason being it having be a software problem, you know, it's actually a problem in your brain and and how you've learned to move around the injury, I think is just a counterintuitive and a really fascinating concept. Is injury the only way that these problems happen? Or can you develop these negative motor patterns in a different way? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, So just to kind of go off of the whole motor pattern thing. So there is a term for it out there. And and I don't really like using the term because oftentimes I don't know if that is actually what's going on, but it's called um, a dystonia. So the term is task-specific focal dystonia. So task-specific meaning that it's isolated to a particular task, whether that's running, whether that's, you know, playing an instrument or writing. Um, And then focal meaning it just happens in one part of the body. And typically with runners, I see it on one side. So typically one leg that's involved. And a dystonia is is essentially a, a movement disorder that's characterized by these muscle contractions, uncontrolled muscle contractions that create this abnormal um, gait pattern or this abnormal posturing, you could say. And it usually only occurs in highly skilled uh, athletes, or, you know, you can see it in professional writers or professional musicians. So anyone that has been doing this high, high, highly developed skill um, 
repetitively. So for a long period of time. So I see it in runners, you know, who ran at the collegiate level that were running upwards of 100 miles a week. Um, you can see it in ultra runners that also have very high mileage. Um, and it's it's doesn't happen to everyone, obviously. It's, it's a pretty not very well-researched topic. And so there's not a lot out there about what exactly causes it and you know what the best treatment options are for that but we do know that sometimes it can develop after you know big traumatic injury or an orthopedic injury things like that can create this kind of dystonic pattern so to answer your question it doesn't only occur um, in in injured athletes and it also doesn't really occur in a majority of injured athletes you know this is a really rare a really rare thing but i think that it is highly underdiagnosed just because a lot of practitioners are not aware that it even exists i um, mean not a lot of neurologists also don't don't know a lot about it um, in general so um, the biggest thing with that is it tends to occur in, you know, these highly trained athletes that have been practicing this motor pattern, this movement pattern over and over and over again for years and years and years at a very high level. And so because of that, <laughs> it's it um, and especially for these higher level athletes who are very in tune with their bodies, you know, they're very aware of how they're moving. Um, if something feels off, they can kind of perseverate on that a little bit. And so it's it's even more challenging to treat that because um, the biggest thing with kind of that motor pattern and dealing with the brain is that the more you think about your asymmetries or the more you think about this faulty movement pattern, the worse it can actually get. So you can actually, this heightened awareness can, can exacerbate your symptoms. So, but yeah, this whole thing with, you know, seeing it after an orthopedic injury, a traumatic injury. So a good example I have is, you know, um, case example, an endurance runner who has this weird, like, knee flexion and hip rotation that's happening when they're running. Um, and perhaps they had, you know, an untreated hip injury years and years ago, but they kept running on it, but they kept running on it in a way that wasn't normal. Um, it was almost like a compensatory pattern so that they wouldn't have as much pain when running. And then that can lead to that faulty movement pattern and that negative neuroplasticity. So from, you know, a practitioner's standpoint, the the number one thing that you should do is you know obviously address the musculoskeletal the orthopedic issue issue here if there's a strength issue if there's a joint restriction you know a range of motion issue obviously get those things addressed um but then really work on that software retraining to kind of retrain that motor pattern that movement pattern that has become so negatively ingrained well, it sounds like it's a very good thing that these are somewhat rare, and it sounds like the uh, the condition that afflicts the highly trained runners, you know, the folks who are running 100 plus miles a week, the ultra runners, um, you know, those kinds of runners, it seems like that is even more rare than, you know, the former case where you, you get this kind of issue from an injury. Is that right? Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, and like I said, there, there's not a lot out there. There aren't a ton of case studies out there just because I think this is kind of a newer term. I mean, a newer thing that's coming to light. And so I think there are probably more runners out there who are struggling with this, but just haven't been really diagnosed and haven't really seen anyone who, who understands what's going on. Right. And, you know, I have some personal interest in this because I've had uh, several IT band injuries and over the the years, you know, I've kind of rehabbed it to the point where I can run a lot, sometimes, you know, a fair amount, you know, 10 plus miles a day on average. But, you know, it's not quite the same as it was before that big injury. And that big injury was, you know, over 12 years ago. And so I wonder if I'm personally dealing with, you know, some of these faulty movement patterns that I've just been using for, you know, a really long time. Um, so yeah, that's something that I certainly have to think about. Uh, and it does seem like, you know, fixing a, or, or relearning a faulty motor pattern in your brain, that just seems like such a daunting task. Is this something that, uh, you know, takes a really long time? What are the important steps in the process for getting over this kind of an injury? 
Yeah, it's that's a great question. It's it's difficult. Obviously, you know, treat the underlying factors, you know, if there's something going on as I mentioned before, but um one of the biggest things is to I've been working on a little bit in the clinic here is to almost kind of trick the brain. <laughs> um especially for runners who have been, you know, perseverating on the fact that something feels different with their gait or this they're running a weird way. Um you try to, you know, give it like a, do like a sensory trick. So whether that's change, changing something in the environment that's, that's um, outside of what they're normally used to when they're running, whether it's changing the surface that they're running on, you know, running barefoot versus, you know, running in their shoes or running backwards. I've seen that work sometimes um, or changing up their visual system. So taking that out a little bit and, and having them have to rely a lot more on their proprioception. So how, how their foot is feeling the ground and where they're sensing their body in space. And so sometimes I see things like that working, but the biggest thing with, you know, changing a motor pattern is that you, you want to make sure that you're in the right headspace to do that and that you're, you're in the right state of mind. So working on some things like, you know, making sure that your nervous system is, is calmed down a little bit. And this is, you know, we all know that this has been a really stressful year for pretty much everyone. <laughs> I don't know a single person who hasn't been affected by what's, what's been going on in the world. Um, so, you know, just being mindful that stresses like that in our environment can, can really affect, you know, how well our brain is functioning and, and how well we're really able to change some of those movement patterns. So, you know, a good, a good example of something to do to make sure you're, you're primed and ready to make those changes is, you know, work on like breathing, for example. Um, so, you know, like a box breath where you inhale for four seconds, you know, hold that for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, and then hold that exhale uh, for four seconds. So something that can calm that nervous system down and get you out of that fight or flight mode, that sympathetic nervous system mode, um, just to make sure that brain um, and your nervous system is is primed, primed and ready to go. But the, the beauty about the brain, as I mentioned before, is that, you know, it is capable of making change. You know, this whole concept of neuroplasticity, we can we can make changes to it. Nothing, nothing is really when it's a software issue like that, nothing is is really absolutely permanent. Whether things are going to go back to exactly the way that they were before and completely normal, you know, that's that um, leaves much to be considered. But but yeah, it's um, it's and I'm a, you know I'm an orthopedic, I'm a sports physical therapist. I'm not I'm not a neuro PT, but you know the nervous system runs our entire body, so it's something that should always be kept in mind when treating runners and dealing with movement patterns like this. This is a really fascinating subtopic. Maybe we can take a little detour and talk about this a little bit more because, you know, as a running coach, I'm always talking about the importance of warming up for a run, doing certain, you know, dynamic flexibility exercises and really priming your body for uh, a run, especially a more challenging workout or something along those lines. But the way that you're talking about priming the nervous system for learning a new movement pattern, priming your nervous system to unlearn a pattern that is deeply ingrained is something that I, I don't think I've ever considered. And it, I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about this. I mean, is it is it a scenario where when you are stressed, when you are dealing with, you know, fight or flight emotions and things like that, that you're nervous system isn't really responsive to change or you're just too distracted to be fully relaxed enough for that change? What's going on there? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, with, with this kind of like loss of control with the central nervous system, you know, you want to really work on activities that can promote this down regulation of your autonomic nervous system. So, you know, bringing you that fight or flight mode is is not a good way for any of us to live for for multiple reasons, and so it also is not really conducive to you know being open and being able to make changes. So the biggest thing with that is you know wanting to really downregulate that fight or flight mode, and to just be able to give runners and give my clients you know tools so they can feel like they're in control of their body especially when they're, you know, 
experiencing higher levels of of stress or anxiety or things like that. So, you know, I mentioned the breathing and we're we're kind of big proponents of breathing here at Build and it's I think it's something that's going to be integral to a lot of people's care um, over the coming year and even years to come after, you know, the stress of the pandemic. A lot of us have really lost the ability to, you know, nasal breathe or diaphragmatically breathe. And so that that just in and of itself kind of puts you in that that fighter, that sympathetic nervous system mode, that fight or flight mode. And so with the breathing example, you know, getting that nervous system to calm down, to downregulate, to go back into that rest or digest mode um, is kind of a really good way to help uh, counteract that CNS inhibition. So other things too, um, you can do, some people like meditating. Um, I personally don't do it a lot myself, although maybe I should, but, but, um, but, you know, meditating, something where they're being able to, you know, feel grounded. So that's, um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of doing a lot of things barefoot, um, just for, not just for, you know, foot and ankle control, but just to feel grounded with your environment. So whether that's doing some of your pre-run warm-up exercise things barefoot or just going outside, if you have a safe space to do this, um, going outside and walking barefoot or doing a little warm-up barefoot, um, if you're used to that. I have, you know, here in Boulder, we're blessed with a ton of tracks that all the runners can use and they all have turf fields in the middle. And sometimes before my um, my runs, I'll just kind of warm up walking around the turf field barefoot or even do like a little jog around around barefoot just to you know feel grounded and to feel like I'm you know in control of my body yes it's so interesting hearing you talk about how valuable that is it just gives me flashbacks to my college days competing because you know we were taking our shoes off all the time whether it was for barefoot strides whether it was for drills uh, we had that, you know, synthetic turf field in the middle of the track, which is just the perfect venue for any kind of barefoot running. And, and it did just give you just this better sense of connection to the ground. I think it, it allowed you to kind of feel lighter on your feet, maybe it reinforced a more economical stride. It just made you feel so good. And, and I think that is just so valuable. Um, and then also hearing you talk about breathing, you know, I'll be the first one to admit that I thought breathing was you know, a little too woo woo for me. You know, it wasn't something that I really thought was very beneficial and practical for runners. Um, But the more I learn about it from the sports psychologist perspective and how valuable it can be on your mindset and with various aspects of your mental fitness, and now hearing from the perspective of a physical therapist, how it can be really impactful on your central nervous system and on really priming you for relaxation and, and all those things you're talking about, I think is just, is really powerful. And I probably should not be judging these, (laughs) these techniques because they they really do seem to have a a practical application. They really do. And a lot of people underestimate the, the power of the vagus nerve. So that's the nerve that goes, um, you know, it plays a really important part, um, in our parasympathetic nervous system. It's the nerve that goes to the heart, goes to the, from the brain to the heart, liver, gut, um, and it, it actually can slow the heart rate down. So this whole concept behind, you know, deep breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, belly breathing, things like that are uh, voluntary ways that you can actually stimulate the vagus nerve. And so that vagus nerve is responsible for this rest and digest um, nervous system mode, the, the mode that kind of brings us out of that heightened fight or flight mode and, and helps to calm us down a little bit. So, um, in a, a lot of runners, I mean, especially I keep perseverating and coming back to this, but I see it. It's only because I see it in the clinic so often, just, you know, higher levels of stress, higher levels of anxiety, and it really affects, you know, your full body health, not just your mental health, your physical health too. And you think about, you know, how much cortisol, how much stress hormone is flowing through, through flowing through your body on a daily basis. And that, that can really impact your performance. It can impact your risk of injury, how well you're recovering your sleep, so many different things. And so some, sometimes it can be just as simple as, you know, getting someone on, you know, a regular 
consistent breathing program where they're really focusing on taking their selves, themselves out of out of that sympathetic nervous system and, and back into a calming mode and and just letting them be autonomous with that and letting them making them aware that they can they can have some control over that. Yeah, I think these are some really valuable strategies for, you know, getting your head in the right place for, you know, getting in the right spot to treat an injury, especially one like this, where, you know, there's a strong neural component to it. And, you know, I'm heartened by the fact that, you know, these these things do seem relatively rare. And, you know, they're, they more afflict people who might have a more serious injury or who have really run through an injury to the point where, you know, they've, they've changed the mind map in their brain of, of how to move properly. Um, now, is this, if someone suspects that they might be dealing with a problem like this, is this something that they can start to treat at home by themselves? Uh, or must they go to a physical therapist to really get some, some formal treatment? So it's, it's going to be, it's always difficult to self-diagnose. And I always advise against that just for multiple reasons. And even myself as, as a physical therapist, myself, I, I often need, you know, an outsider's perspective on things, um, just because, you know, how we're sensing things is often biased and we can't really see the full picture. So it, it honestly, it really depends on, on what level they're at in this. And, you know, if it's really affecting most of their runs and, you know, they feel like they can't really, you know, get a good flow with running or they're having to stop a lot because things just don't feel right. Um, and if it's even starting to affect, you know, their walking or daily activities, things like that, then uh, best advice, honestly, would be to try to go see a physical therapist and just just to rule out, you know, an orthopedic issue or, an, or a musculoskeletal issue. Um, get those things addressed. If things still aren't changing, um, the best advice usually is to refer to, you know, like a a movement disorder specialist or like a, a neurologist who specializes in movement disorders like that. And, and if in the rare case it ends up being along those lines, it's, it's not an easy thing to diagnose either because usually in a physical exam, nothing really shows up. And a lot of times these runners are really good at doing other tasks. So they're really good at cycling, for example, something that's not that walking and running motor pattern. Um, they're really good at doing strength exercises in the gym. You know, they can look like a pro doing that. But, um, you know, when it comes to that, that innate movement pattern, that's when things are kind of thrown off. And so, you know, it'll, it'll, it would take a, a movement specialist who has, experience working with, you know, those kinds of runners or, or uh, clients to, to really know, you know, if that's what's going on. So I think what I'm hearing from you is let's just not get this in the first place because it can be a real pain to deal with. <laughs> get, get your injuries addressed before they become chronic. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's maybe the most uh, attractive question for me is, is how do you prevent something like this in the first place, because, you know, I can't help but think that endurance athletes and especially runners, because it's, you know, more of an impact sport as opposed to say swimming or cycling, but, you know, endurance runners, are we always flirting with this kind of a disaster? Because we're always trying to exercise really hard under high levels of stress when we're really fatigued, you know, we, we are almost rewarded as athletes, the more that we can suffer through. And so I, I'm just constantly thinking to myself, man, it's, it's just amazing that more runners aren't hurt, but how do we, uh, how, do, how do we kind of pull back from this and prevent this kind of a problem from happening? Because it, it does seem like something that could potentially really take you off the road for a long time. Yeah. So biggest piece of advice obviously is to, you know, when you feel things like this pop up, um, get them addressed, you know, don't, don't leave it hanging. Don't, don't have the mindset though, that, uh, you know, it'll get better. I'll just keep running on it. It'll eventually get better, you know, or I'll just, you know, take a week or two off of running and then I'll get back to it. You know, a lot of runners are pretty stubborn <laughs> as, as I found get out of here. Runners on a daily basis. And so a lot of times they, you know, just feel like they can manage it on their own. And, and if they can, then that's fantastic. You know, I never want to, I never want a runner to have to rely on me for, 
for everything. You know, I, I want runners to be autonomous. I want them to feel like they're in control of their care. But if they really feel like, you know, something is nagging at them and it's it's not getting better, then obviously please go get it addressed because, you know, there's a reason why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. And I say this to, to all of my clients, you know, your your body is is trying to communicate with you and and if you can't interpret that message, find someone who can. Um, because oftentimes that pain is a signal that, you know, something's not quite right, whether it's at the source of where they're experiencing that pain or somewhere else in the body, regardless, you know, it's, it's that message that your body is trying, that your brain is trying to send to you to, to really get that addressed and get that fixed. Because, you know, even if it does end up resolving down the road, if it's a result of, you know, something else up the chain, that's not firing right or not communicating right with the rest of the body, uh, things down the road, other things down the road can pop up. And I've seen that a lot with runners who just kind of bounce from one injury to the next. And it's it's not a good pattern you want to be in. No, of course not. That's this chronic cycle of injuries because you're not really addressing the, the root cause of why the injury is happening in the first place. And I'm glad that you're so uh, proactive about these things because, you know, I, I'm always advising runners to treat an injury much like they would treat a goal race. You know, you need to train for it. You need to really pour yourself into it. And you you should approach your recovery and your rehabilitation in the same kind of an aggressive way. Because if you don't, Mm -hmm. then, you know, you do run this risk of, of it becoming a chronic problem. And I love the fact that you mentioned you know, don't just take a week or two off and expect that to solve your problems. You know, that was the mindset that I used to have when I was 19 and 20 years old in college. And, you know, back then it kind of worked because, you know, I was dealing with being 19 or 20 and I could just come back from so many injuries and and niggles and things like that and, and just bounce back pretty well. But, you know, I can't do that anymore. And And any adult runner really, you know, rest isn't solving the problem. And uh, I appreciate you saying that. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely circumstances where rest is the best, especially for bone stress injuries. That's not something that you really want to tinker with. Um, but for a lot of other injuries, specifically like ten- tendon injuries, uh, rest is actually shown to be not effective uh, because tendons really only kind of adapt and reorganize when they're subjected to load. And so that's the biggest that's the biggest thing with that. I've, I've had had a runner recently come in with um, anterior knee pains, so like patellar tendonitis, and she developed it last year and ended up taking, I think, like maybe a month off of, of running completely and then slowly got back into it. And and it just kind of flared up right again once she reached a certain point in her mileage. And, and it was because she really hadn't taken the time to address, yes, those underlying causes, but she hadn't given that tendon the load that it needed to really adapt and become stronger to resist that load in the future. Yeah. Can we talk about load for a second? Because, you know, this is a term that every physical therapist loves. I I love it, you know, in terms of, you know, coaching and you talk about workload and training load and things like that. Um, When you say load in very specific to maybe a tendon injury, what exactly does that mean? And how do you incorporate that into a recovery uh, treatment so that runners can get back on the road? Right. So when I say load, I basically mean force through that uh, soft tissue. So through that tendon, Um, whether that's through running itself or walking or doing some sort of specific focus strength training to target that tendon. Um, that tendon doesn't respond well to just, you know, sitting on the couch and, you know, not, not going out and exercising and things like that. So I always advise, advise my tendon patients to, you know, find an activity where they can participate without, you know, a high level of pain. And, and sometimes with those injuries, you know, you're not going to experience zero out of 10 pain. Sometimes you might have a little discomfort here and there, and that's okay. You know, as long as it's, it's not getting worse, you know, throughout, throughout the activity or things like that. But in terms of kind of rehabilitating tendon injuries, there's a lot of research out there to show, you know, eccentric contraction, eccentric loading um, is effective. I use that a bit in the clinic here. 
Um, so that's eccentric. So you have two types of, or two primary types of muscle contraction. So you're eccentric and concentric. Concentric would be kind of, for example, in a squat position would be coming up from the bottom of that squat position and eccentric would be that lowering. So you're basically lengthening that muscle fiber in that tendon under load. And that, that, um, puts quite a bit more load through those tendons, through those muscle fibers, just because as you're lengthening those muscles, you know, less and less muscle fibers are becoming recruited, but you're still putting the same amount of force and load through them. So, um, with, with tendon injuries, eccentrics, um, I'm a huge fan of heavy loading, especially for runners, because I think a lot of runners and a lot of, um, strength coaches kind of underload runners. And when you think about, you know, the kind of force that's going through every tissue in our body, every time we step, you know, they say two to three times your body weight is going through, you know, every time you step. And if you take, you know, 180 steps a minute, how many minutes you're running, how many miles you're running, it, it really adds up. And so body weight stuff is a great place to start, but you obviously need to progress to, to really adding weight to, to load those tendons appropriately. Oh, and now you're talking about lifting heavy weight. I'm, <laughs> I'm just pumping right now, Caitlin. This is just amazing. <laughs> There's yeah. so many things uh, in this conversation that I, I think are just so incredibly useful for runners. Uh, so thank you very much. I, I do have some random quick questions for you. I always like having a, a PT on because I get to ask you all kinds of things uh, that <laughs> you know I, I can't ask just anyone. Um, so why would someone want to run the same mileage spread out over more days of training? What are the benefits of more frequent, shorter runs as opposed to less frequent, longer runs? Right. So um, actually just wrote a post about this recently and you probably saw that. <laughs> but um, but I I tend to recommend that, you know, more frequent, lower uh, lower volume stuff to runners who have either a history of injury or who are currently dealing with an injury that, you know, is a low level one that they're still able to run on. But um, the benefit of that is that, you know, when you think about where your injury threshold is, so throughout the course of a long run, you know, most of us inevitably at some point are going to have their form break down just through fatigue and usually when that happens is when things tend to go wrong um, and you tend to be a little bit more susceptible to, you know, developing an injury. And so for runners who currently have are dealing with an injury or dealing with pain with running, things like that, you know, if they have a threshold that's, you know, my limits like, you know, 45 minutes into my run or an hour into my run, I start to feel this or things start to kind of go south then if we can keep that runner below their threshold for those runs, they're going to get the same benefit out of running, you know, more frequently than, you know, doing longer duration runs at a lower frequency. So a good example is, you know, if you're someone who struggles with injuries here and there, you get little niggles all the time, you just can't really find a good flow with running. Um, instead of going out and running like three times a week and running, you know, 45 to 60 minutes, um, for each run and, you know, having days, two or three, four days off a week where you're not doing that task instead, try going out and running, you know, five, six days a week for 20, 30, you know, 20, 30 minutes each run 40 minutes. Um, I have runners who run, who do two runs in the same day and it, that mileage ends up adding up to what a long run would be, but, they are staying below that load threshold, that injury threshold, you know, and distributing that load across more sessions, just so there's less load at a given time for tissues that may not be able to handle it yet. And so that I have found personally as a, um, an athlete myself and with the athletes that I work with in the clinic and that I coach, that that has been pretty effective in helping them really to find that flow with running and to work out all those little niggles and kinks here and there. Yeah, I think this is such a great workaround. And, and I think there's a lot of value too in practicing the skill of running more frequently, even yes. if it's for shorter periods of time. 
And I do think over the long term, if you're doing, you know, a program that's sort of like this, where you're not running very long, but you're running very frequently, you're going to be pushing up on that threshold where your form starts to break down, where you typically start to get, uh, you know, those little niggles, you will gradually over time be able to run a little bit more and a little bit more. So I think this is a really valuable workaround to get in the training with some limitations. And then in the future, you'll probably be able to train in, you know, a quote unquote, more normal way with some slightly longer runs. So I think that's a, a super valuable perspective on things. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly. I recently, um, well, I have a, a triathlete. She's a triathlete who I've been working with for a couple of years now. And and over the past few years, she had really been limited um, in making running gains just because of her injury risk. And she grew up as a gymnast. A gymnast. So she's very, um, she runs, you know, very forefoot, um, very propulsive when she runs. And she had been struggling with chronic plantar fasciitis for a couple years. And, you know, she would always have to go to, she's uh, back in New York City. So I don't see her physically, but she was going to see a PT there frequently, trying to get things addressed, trying to work on things. And I was having her run maybe like three times a week because, you know, as a, as a multi-sport athlete, you have to balance three different sports. And things just really weren't like clicking with her. She wasn't making good progress. There were times when we had to take like a couple weeks off of running just because her plantar fasciitis would flare up and even one point where she had to take a couple months off. And so then we got this crazy idea. I was like, well, what if I have you run more, (laughs) you know, kind of contrary to popular belief? um, I was like, what if I have you run like five to six days a week instead of three? And, you know, some of those runs can even be as short as like 20 minutes, something to just get you into that motor pattern um, and and get you more familiar and more comfortable with the task of running. And it, it gave her more opportunities to really work on some of her pre-run, you know, activation type stuff and mobility work that she was doing um, before her runs. And so we we tried that out. And initially, like the first couple of weeks, things were like a little achy here and there. But after a couple months, she she like blossomed as a runner and had her running, you know, five, five, about five, six days a week. And it, it's been now probably a year and a half since she's had to take off a day of running because of an injury, um, which is pretty fantastic. And I, she's always commenting on her runs, you know, that they feel great and she's, she's making good progress and she's running faster times and she's feeling stronger. Um, so sometimes all it takes is just that frequency and that consistency. And we like to overuse the word consistency all the time, but I consistency in a task in a sport is probably one of the most important things. And one of the most influential things in terms of, you know, the progress you can make for your performance. I consistently like to talk about how consistency is so important. So we're on the same page there. <laughs> yeah. Now, Kayleen, I, I'm sure you work with a lot of triathletes because you are a triathlete yourself and you're quite a good triathlete. So I want to ask you a cycling question. Uh, I, I'm obviously a runner. I'm a little bit of a weekend warrior when it comes to road cycling, especially when the weather gets a little bit warmer. Uh, I would call myself a fair weather cyclist. <laughs> but for for folks like me who, you know, they're runners, but they have a road bike, they like to get on it once or twice a week when the weather's nice. What should I remember about cycling and about riding it once or twice a week or so to stay healthy if I'm only doing it kind of sporadically on top of my running? So I think cycling is a fantastic cross training sport for running because it is such a low impact sport. I mean, it really utilizes similar muscle groups that you do with running, although slightly differently. Um, so, uh, you know, incorporating that into your, your running volume, like once or twice a week, I think is, is perfect. And as long as you're set up, you know, with a good bike fit and you don't have little niggles here and there, um, I think there's there's nothing really that you need to do differently the only thing to think about is that you know when you're riding a bike you're pretty much in a sitting position throughout the whole course of the ride and so if you're someone who sits a lot on the regular 
you know, daily, weekly in general, then, you know, adding in even more sitting when you're on a bike saddle um, can sometimes exacerbate some of that, some of those hip mobility issues that we see a lot with runners. And so um, for some of my runners who do like to bike or cycle, you know, a couple times a week, they like to do longer rides on the weekends. The biggest thing with them is I, I tell them to really just be a little bit more adamant about working on, you know, mobility and flexibility of the front of your hip. So working on hip, hip flexors, you know, making sure those are staying loose, um, working on, you know, some thoracic spine mobility, just because we are in that sitting flex position. And and you kind of need to be in the opposite of that when you're upright and running. And so, so just making sure that, you know, your, your thoracic spine, your mid back, your mid spine is, is staying, um, you know, mobile and happy. That's good to know. And, and especially, uh, because, you know, runner's hips can often be either tight or weak. And the fact that cycling is so good for us, but could potentially exacerbate that, that specific problem is, is very helpful to know. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll certainly be working on my hip strength, Caitlin. Um, speaking of, what's your favorite strength exercise for runners? If you had to pick just one, and I know you probably hate this question. Uh, it's like it's like asking a musician what their favorite song is Um, (laughs) I uh honestly with runners I'm gonna be a little bit vague here I'll go into detail in a bit but I I would say anything that's single leg please and I've seen plenty of runners in the clinic who fail to really include a lot of single leg uh strength and you know balance work in their in their routine and, you know, they do a lot of heavy squats, heavy bilateral squats, heavy double leg deadlifts, things like that. But sometimes we forget that running is a single leg sport. There's no point in the whole gait cycle of running where you're ever on two legs at the same time. So, um, as a runner, you need to be really good at balancing on one leg and being able to jump on one leg. Those are the two big things. Um, the other thing with runners too, so this will kind of tie into my favorite exercise. One exercise I prog- I prescribe to a lot of my runners is a single leg one. You've probably heard of it. Um, it's like a, a standing fire hydrant where you essentially have um, like a mini resistance band above your knees and you're standing on one leg and you're opening up your your non-weighted leg out to the back of you kind of like like kind of like how a dog pees on a fire hydrant. <laughs> Um, good image, Caitlin. Good imagery. Yeah, I don't know how appropriate that is to use. You can bleep that out. But um No, we're keeping it. <laughs> but, but but I I love exercises that can incorporate, you know, more than one thing. So with running and pretty much any activity that we do, the body never functions in isolation. So, you know, isolating specific muscle groups is never going to translate that well to the task of of walking, running, things like that. And so doing things in a functional position, like standing, usually reaps the best success. And then doing things where you're incorporating, you know, different systems in the body. So with that fire hydrant exercise, you know, the leg that you're standing on, we're really working on pelvic stabilization. So that that famous gluteus medius muscle that everybody likes to to go on about, that hip drop muscle. Um, But then on the stance leg, I'm sorry, on the non-weighted leg, you're working a little bit on some external rotation. So those hip rotators, that big gluteus maximus. Um, But anytime you're on a single, you're doing a single leg exercise, you're also working on foot and ankle control and, you know, proprioception with the ground and, and balance and things like that. So anytime you can get an exercise that kind of hits multiple points at the same time, that's a win. Yeah, that's, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, all right. Last question, Caitlin, uh, you're talking to 15,000 adult runners right now. What is your best one minute piece of advice for all of us who want to stay healthy from a physical therapist perspective? We want to have 2021 be our healthiest, most injury-free year of running. What do you have to say? I have to say, as we said before, you know, be consistent with your training. That's one of the biggest pieces of advice I give my athletes is just consistency, not just from an injury prevention standpoint, but from a performance standpoint. Um, So, you know, 
being consistent with things, listening to your body, getting things addressed, you know, if something's kind of popping up that doesn't feel right. Um, keeping in mind that, you know, we're living in a stressful time right now and don't discount the fact that, you know, some days runs might feel worse than others. And it may not be like a, you know, physical thing, like a body issue with you. It just may be the stress that you're incurring on a daily basis. And then the last thing is hydrate, 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 because injuries cannot resolve without blood flow, without fluid flow. Um, and tissues can't slide and glide across each other without good hydrodynamics. So making, make sure that you are hydrating on the regular. Caitlin, I thank you so much for your expertise. This was a really fun conversation. Uh, I think the whole neural component of chronic injuries is fascinating. And so I hope it helped at least a couple runners think more strategically about their injuries and hopefully prevent some of their big injuries that could be happening in the future so that, you know, we can actually make this year our healthiest yet. So Caitlin, thank you so much. Where can we connect with you? I know you have uh, a bit of an online presence. I've enjoyed following you on Instagram. Yes, I, um, yeah, I post a lot of kind of tips, pieces of advice, some exercises, things like that on my Instagram account. It's at Kate, C-A-I-T, Alexander. So you can find kind of all the information you need there. All right, great. I'm going to include a link to that in the show notes on the Strength Running site. And uh, since we talked about it, I'll also include a single leg strength routine that we have that can be really helpful for preventing some of these imbalances and compensations that we talked about today. That sounds perfect. Kaylin, thank you so much. Thank you. There we have it, everyone. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dr. Caitlin Alexander. You can connect with her on Instagram at Kate Alexander. And if you're ever up in Boulder, Colorado, feel free to drop by the Build Sports Performance Lab. Before you pause me, I want you to get some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free sample pack with four flavors and eight packets at Drink Element. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You only have to pay for shipping. And what they do is make electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors. And I'm particularly partial to the citrus flavor, which... I honestly can't get enough of. It's tasty and delicious and something that I really enjoy whenever I do any running more than about 45 minutes. And there's now mounting evidence that higher recommended sodium intake levels from the FDA are not actually harmful, especially for athletes. Now, of course, ask your doctor if you're worried, but for those athletes running five plus days per week, training for longer events or outside in the heat, an electrolyte replacement makes a lot of sense. And I'm encouraged by the fact that Navy SEAL teams, Olympic teams, and pro athletes have started using elemental electrolyte supplements to improve their performance. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to try their sample pack and get your hydration optimized for the upcoming spring season. That's our show today. Thank you, everyone, for subscribing to the podcast. And as always, if there's anything I can do for you, feel free to reach out at support at strengthrunning.com. Until next time.